Latvia Weekly, your independent guide to the news in Latvia, with your hosts Otto Tabuns and Joe Horgan. Latvia Museum, and welcome to episode number one hundred and twenty-nine of the Latvia Weekly podcast. I am Joe Horgan, seated across from Otto Tabuns here. Again in downtown Yelgava, this time we are at uh, Istaba, which is a wonderful cafe here in the center. They are not a sponsor, um, but uh, they are very generous to let us uh, record here and uh, drink some coffee here in the uh, nice ambiance. It's about uh, 11 p.m. on Wednesday evening. And uh, Otto, how are you tonight? Hello, Joe. Hello, dear listeners. It's a wonderful evening in Yelgava and also quite a fascinating week if we talk about the news. Certainly, it is very, very fascinating because, uh, well, you know, one story that we, we were going to talk about a little bit later, but I can mention right now, we are currently dining outside. But since Otto and I have both been vaccinated, if either of us, uh, you know, actually went out and printed that, I, I still haven't printed out the, uh, the uh, you know, c- certificate thing, which we, we, we talked about the last couple of episodes. But if we were to do that, as of now, we could eat inside, theoretically, couldn't we? Exactly. Uh, I already have my certificate on my phone. Uh, I think that you would also be able to to get that. Um, It also uh, has to be noted that it takes some time for it to take effect because there there are these days after the second vaccination that you have to count. But indeed, once it works, uh, you are able and you are permitted to um, eat inside and also uh, visit uh, a certain number of uh, events. And uh, we'll talk about some of the things that you can visit a little bit later in the episode. But speaking of digital certificates, the big digital certificate, which is much more weighted for uh, here in not just Latvia, but Europe in general, uh, which is much more important than just being able to eat inside a restaurant instead of outside, which you know it's summer anyway. Everyone wants to eat outside in a restaurant. This is the EU digital COVID certificate. Uh, it's also been called the green certificate, I think. I think it's uh, the... the uh, it's also been referred to as well. And uh, so this is a EU-wide system that will uh, allow people to, uh, you know, be, be able to, you know, different countries to have access to uh, people's vaccination certificates. And the main upside of this is that it will facilitate traveling uh, in a way that's something that resembles how people were used to being able to travel in the EU. You know, I, I remember, uh, you know, my um, best friend's parents in America, you know, they'd always talk about traveling from one country to another is, uh, you know, in, in the EU, like uh, just crossing state lines or county lines or something like that. Hasn't been, unfortunately, recently during during COVID. But Otto, do you think that this is finally uh, the solution to opening the borders again in a, uh, you know, responsible way? Uh, it is certainly in many regards. Uh, so with this certificate, uh, already we can see some uh, change as uh, should you have that certificate, it is possible uh, to travel to Latvia uh, without the need of having to self-isolate or uh, to uh, make uh, this uh, COVID test. Here specifically about um, other EU citizens who would travel uh, to Latvia. But already we can see changes and indeed uh, some steps back uh, into the uh, what used to be normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, this system is going to go into effect on the 1st of July. It's going to be in effect for 12 months, but of course, depending on how things go, that could be, you know, changed certainly. And, um, you know, there, there's a lot of questions behind this. So, so first of all, the big question, which a lot of people have been asking, and it's a little bit unclear, is there any kind of timetable for non-EU countries being able to have the same kind of access to um, you know, uh, isolation-free travel 
if there is some kind of proof of vaccine? Or is this really just, uh, you know, kind of for the near future, at least uh, planned um, as, as an EU wide thing? So I think that so far it will be an EU-wide thing and uh, I'm not sure that the um, uh, third countries are such a high priority, especially as we see uh, quite high numbers of uh, the of COVID uh, statistics uh, in many of these countries. Uh, uh, at the same time, I have to mention that uh, there are already uh, some uh, exceptions in the sense that you would have countries where uh, this uh, level is lower uh, even than in the EU, for example, in Japan, in uh, South Korea, um, in uh, Israel. Uh, so uh, for them already, the arrangements are uh, easier. For example, it is possible to, or at least it used to be possible to travel between uh, Israel and Greece. Uh, that, that may be expanded. I, I think there, there are... Um, no such comparable restrictions uh, with Japan, uh, but it will indeed uh, probably depend on these uh, individual uh, country statistics and the way how that is then treated by the whole of the European Union. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, you know, again, the big story of the last year, you know, since we kind of got into COVID, since we got an idea of what COVID was and how dangerous it was and, you know, what it really was, the big question has been about vaccination. This time last year, you know, we were looking at timetables for how quickly we would be able to get a vaccine, let alone get it manufactured, let alone get it out. Well, a year later, we have it. We have stockpiles of vaccines. We have enough vaccines. But now the second question, which was talked about as more of a theoretical thing at that point, but now here we are, is how do we convince people to actually get vaccinated? You know, to, to the point where some people have been talking about uh, pretty draconian ways to, uh, you know, quote unquote, convince people to get vaccinated. Uh, and the reason why, you know, we are now at this point is because this is the first week when the pace of vaccination has decreased from from the previous week in, in, in such a, you know, big number, 21%. You know, that that's not a statistical insignificance, you know, and, you know, previous times when we had such a big decrease in the amount of people vaccinated, that's just because <laughs> the vaccines were rotting in some warehouse somewhere or, you know, they weren't properly procured or, you know, all kinds of logistical errors. So now, you know, the, the big question is, are we hitting some kind of wall right now? You know, it, there were polls that we were looking at, you know, just a couple of episodes ago that, you know, said only around a third of the country is ready to get vaccinated. And now we're at about a third of the country, you know, in terms of the adults, uh, you know, in the country who are who are able to get vaccinated. Uh, you know, and then uh, Uganumpis, uh, the top epidemiological expert, you know, who has become a household name during the pandemic here in Latvia, uh, he's also specifically been talking about how it's very worrisome that among specific risk groups such as the elderly, uh, the uh, vaccination rate is quite low. So, Otto, what's your take on this and, and what's the way forward? Well, I think that there are uh, several reasons that could explain this. Uh, well, we did discuss uh, this problem between the um, capabilities uh, of the government to provide the vaccines and the willingness uh, of uh, people uh, to actually get them. So those are two different uh, matters and do not follow automatically. Um, uh, well, 
perhaps uh, one explanation could be indeed in the uh, very nice weather and perhaps the time of vacations, the end of the academic year, uh, when uh, people have uh, a number of uh, different endeavors other than uh, waiting in line for their vaccination, even though it is readily available. Uh, perhaps it is also uh, explained that uh, those who wanted to get the vaccine, uh, those who most actively wanted it, already have gotten it, and now it is the question for those who are perhaps more reserved to this. Uh, another problem, which is, uh, I think, the responsibility of uh, the government, but also is connected to the development in the scientific field, is uh, the delay of the second dose of AstraZeneca, because we know uh, it uh, was extended for uh, thousands of people uh, from, I think, uh, uh, nine weeks to 12 weeks, or uh, at least uh, I know that in many cases, uh, including that of uh, my mom, uh, the, the second uh, vaccine dose was the then delayed for um, a number of weeks, which could also explain this uh, dip uh, in the uh, numbers. Uh, at the same time, I would not expect that all people will get vaccinated, and it is something that also we have to take into account. It may not be possible also to uh, make it uh, happen uh, fully, and uh, we also have to recognize that there are people who uh, have taken an informed decision not to get vaccinated, and uh, we have to be ready to respect that even though they have to keep following certain restrictions. Well, that's the trick, though, because, you know, it, it, it so happens that a lot of the people who have chosen not to get vaccinated are a lot of times the same people who, you know, have a very different idea of what COVID is, you know, if they believe that it is, you know, such a thing, um, you know, than, than people who, uh, you know, have, have been following kind of the official information from, from mainstream science and, and from government, uh, you know, offices. So, so, so that's, you know, I think going to become a trickier and trickier issue is that, uh, you know, we, we, we have these groups kind of uh, aligning in that way. Um, you know, the, the, the big question, so so this week we had the new Minister of Education, Anita Moishnitze, come out and, you know, kind of talk about this issue of teachers needing to get vaccinated in more, uh, you know, higher numbers if we want to have in-person education in September, which everybody wants to have in-person education. I can say as a teacher, nobody, you know, look, I'm okay, maybe a few of my students or colleagues, you know, see this as more of an opportunity than a huge pain in the neck. But pretty much everybody wants to get back in the classroom. Not everybody wants to get vaccinated, though, certainly out of my colleagues. And, you know, we've been hearing stories here and there from different schools uh, that, you know, getting back to this idea of draconian measures, you know, have gone so far as even threatening teachers' jobs, uh, you know, which, again, I don't see as being realistic considering how much of a shortage of teachers we have outside of the pandemic, uh, you know, like, okay, that's, that's great. Now, now where do we get the replacement from? Um, but still, I do think that we are going to start seeing, you know, we've seen it in other countries as well, and, and also fields here in Latvia. Um, you know, Otto, how, how do you see this developing in terms of, you know, pressuring people outside of just, you know, respect, of course, you know, like, we, we have to respect people's constitutional rights and, and everything. Um, but in terms of getting things back to normal, and, and you know, in, in a, in a, uh, the best way that we can, you know, how, wh where, where do you see the line being drawn and, and how, how extreme do you think, you know, you, you could see certain, um, you know, uh, businesses or organizations going? On the one hand, we indeed do have uh, human rights and we do have a rule of law country. At the same time, there is no constitutional right uh, that would uh, mandate the government to hire you as a teacher. 
So uh, here uh, we are talking about these specific cases where um, public service is provided and uh, uh, the government uh, would have uh, a wider uh, margin of maneuver uh, in setting these uh, rules and uh, prerequisites, uh, especially as, of course, it would be easier uh, if uh, the teachers would be vaccinated en masse because it would be then possible to uh, get back to school on September the 1st and not consider, for example, extending the uh, school year. Um, I agree that perhaps they will not go as far as to firing people. At the same time, uh, I recall that uh, you mentioned, Joe, that uh, at uh, one time uh, you had to get the tests, uh, whether you have or have uh, uh, no uh, COVID. It could be the case that for those teachers who uh, refuse to get vaccinated, that is their right, but uh, they may be required to pay for these tests themselves. Uh, and uh, if... Uh, uh, such a, a choice uh, would demand, let's say, um, uh, distance um, uh, teaching or work from distance, then it could be the case uh, that um, uh, teachers may be required to cover um, any expenses themselves. So it could go that way. Um, so in, instead of firing, uh, but uh, making uh, this um, option uh, possible, but quite costly to the individuals. Yeah, and actually, that that's exactly what Christianus Karnsch was actually, uh, I believe he's on Latvia's radio talking about this uh, this week, is, you know, exactly this idea that uh, people who are not vaccinated will have to start paying for their own uh, COVID tests, which, you know, in certain circumstances, they have had to do already. But, you know, again, I mean, that is, you know, there was a lot of debate about this, and, you know, like on online comment sections, which I try my best to stay out of, because it's, uh, it's a deep, dark hole. Uh, you know, a, a lot of emotional, um, you know, responses about this. But at the end of the day, you know, it is pretty sound logic that, you know, it, it's a much better use of taxpayer money to pay for vaccines than COVID tests over and over and over again, you know, even from just an ecological perspective, you know, and, and then, of course, you know, it, you, you have people talking about the vaccines as, uh, you know, some kind of poison or something like that, you know, that, that that's the best response I saw you know, for, for, for this argument. So I, I think, you know, definitely we could start seeing some of that. And, you know, again, the carrots of just, like we said, being able to eat inside, being able to go to public, uh, you know, uh, events, uh, you know, without without a mask. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how this develops and, um, you know, the arsenal of carrots and sticks and things in between that the government will use. So... Yeah. Uh, probably in this regard, uh, um, uh, I would be uh, perhaps a slightly a bit bigger proponent of uh, choice in this regard than perhaps Joe would be coming from the educational sector where uh, this uh, matters more. At the same time, uh, you know, uh, choices have costs and uh, I would agree that uh, government should not be uh, the one that would uh, uh, cover the costs uh, of these choices for some of the people. Yeah, definitely. And, and uh, you know, we will certainly discuss this more once these uh, questions become a little bit more less theoretical and more practical, just like they have now, you know, just like, you know, with the first idea of, you know, how do, how do we get people vaccinated, you know, has now materialized. So we will uh, continue this. Um, one more COVID related story that uh, we mentioned last time, and unfortunately, it is now, um, you know, become a bigger story. So we, we talked last time about the uh, now it's called, you know, the, the, the naming of, of all of this, you know, <laughs> just with COVID originally, you know, first it was the Wuhan virus or, you know, like, you know, and then, uh, you know, like, thankfully, uh, you know, we got, we got the name COVID-19 pretty quickly. Um, now these different strains, you know, we've heard a lot about the 
British strain, the South African strain, the Indian strain. Now, finally, they have uh, Greek alphabet letters. And, you know, of course, it's not just one strain. It's a whole family of strains and everything. But anyway, um, the so-called strain that we've been hearing a lot about down in India, uh, which has been causing a lot of problems down there, it is now being referred to as the Delta variant, apparently. And this Delta variant, which has been causing, um, like I said, huge, huge, huge problems down in India, is becoming more prominent. It was discovered for the first time, I believe, uh, about a month ago here in Latvia, and now it is uh, becoming more and more prominent. Uh, so, you know, definitely something that is worrisome uh, because of how contagious it seems to be. But again, you know, there, it's so difficult to do qualitative research on, you know, in such a short amount of time that we really still don't understand uh, exactly how dangerous, deadly, contagious these, these variants are, but definitely something that the government will be keeping an eye on and especially, uh, you know, how well uh, the vaccines that are available in Latvia and prominent in Latvia can uh, um, uh, protect people against this Delta variant. So uh, any last COVID-related things before we can go on to finally some non-COVID-related things? Let's go to non-COVID-related things, please. <laughs> Okay, so uh, we, we got a lot of actually very interesting domestic stories tonight and a lot of follow-ups actually to some stories that we've been talking about uh, previously. So first of all, Otto, can you tell us a little bit about minimum social security payments? Because the, uh, th this is something we've talked about previously and it's a little bit confusing. So can you, can you explain in as simply as possible for people who are unfamiliar with this uh, concept, uh, what it means and uh, how, how uh, the current situation could be changing soon? Uh, so uh, when we talk about uh, minimum social security contributions, uh, we are talking about the um, new regime of uh, uh, social security taxation that will go into effect uh, from July the 1st. Uh, so despite the concerns from different uh, stakeholders, associations and the opposition, the cabinet is going ahead with this. And it means that uh, all people who are employed um, in the usual terms under the law uh, will have to pay um, 170 euros as a minimum as this uh, social security contribution which is calculated for a minimum salary which is uh, 500 uh, euros and even if uh, the, um, the salary is smaller than that uh, the uh, minimum uh, social contribution uh, stays the same hence the name minimum <laughs> social security contribution uh, and the problem here is that uh, it will uh, most significantly affect those people who are uh, employed by uh, various uh, employers um, uh, or those uh, who are employed let's say by one employer but only let's say for a half a load uh, because uh, the part of the minimum social contributions that the person the employee is not paying from his part will have to be covered under law by the employer uh, which is not necessarily something that all employers would want to do and I have already heard of cases where people are uh, being uh, let go uh, because of uh, 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 this arrangement not being particularly uh, favored uh, by uh, some uh, businesses. Uh, on the one hand, uh, it has been a government's response uh, with regard to the problem that we saw during uh, the restrictions of the COVID crisis where people uh, who had uh, limited social security net uh, were very vulnerable uh, when for example restrictions to their business 
took place. Um, at the same time, uh, we know that uh, there are people who have uh, several lines of work uh, who uh, would have different ways how to provide for uh, themselves and uh, this uh, partial employment or uh, not full employment uh, will probably not uh, flourish and uh, may end up uh, growing uh, the uh, shadow economy instead of uh, making a better sense out of the social security system that we have. Yeah, that's always the trick, isn't it? You know, is to, um, you know, with any of these new reforms, it's uh, trying to mitigate all of the, uh, you know, untended side effects that, you know, can end up... Uh, needing reforms of themselves to, to, to deal with, uh, you know. Um, well, and speaking of which, uh, another very interesting, uh, you know, social payment regard, uh, you know, related reform. Uh, we were talking about Gattis Eglitis, the new um, Minister of Welfare last week, you know, for already jumping into controversy, uh, you know, with uh, via tweet. Uh, you know, in his kind of very first week in office. Well, now he's uh, jumped into even bigger controversy via policy proposal. Uh, this was a very interesting one right here. Uh, so this has to do with pension reform. So I, I understand this pretty well, but again, I think I'm going to leave this to Otto to, to explain in uh, kind of better terms than I can. So, so what is his proposal uh, to kind of um, prop up the current pension system here in Latvia? So his proposal refers to our uh, multi-level pension system uh, where, for example, you have the uh, level one pension system uh, that uh, has uh, the uh, contributions, social contributions uh, for people who were born before 1971. And then you would have the, um, the second level of pensions, which is mandatory to people born after 1971, uh, uh, including uh, Joe and I. And uh, many others uh, and uh, so um, there have been historical uh, differences in the amount of uh, these uh, uh, sums of money put away for pensions uh, mainly because of uh, the Soviet occupation and uh, the, the way how those contributions were taken away uh, from uh, Latvian pensioners. So you have this multi-level system uh, which takes into account the uh, generation you are a part of and uh, what the Minister of Welfare is proposing is to take some of the money from uh, the second level of pension and uh, use it uh, to uh, prop up uh, the pensions uh, that uh, come from the first level of uh, pensions, meaning that uh, the contributions of the people who are still working uh, would uh, go for the pensions for the people who are not working anymore or uh, are outside of the uh, labor market. Uh, this has, of course, created a lot of controversy, not only in the comments section, but also beyond that. Um, uh, on the one hand, it is surprising to hear such a proposal from the a conservative party because it is uh, correct me if, if I'm wrong but it's not a very conservative uh, idea neither in Europe and I would not expect also in the United States no I mean that was my biggest takeaway is what the heck because you know we've seen a lot of stuff like that you know my um you know, Yana Conservative Party in general, the new Conservative Party, they were fascinating for me when they first popped up on the scene and, you know, in those first few elections, because, um, you know, r regardless of what you think about conservative policies, you know, whatever, you know, 
the very least, they had a policy that was, you know, a, a policy platform that was pretty consistent because generally, you know, party platforms here in Latvia have been a grab bag of populist ideas. Like we should build more kindergartens. Yeah, we should increase people's salaries. Yeah, you know, okay, that's great. But, you know, you know, they came in with a pretty, you know, reasonable, um, you know, for, for, for conservative politics, uh, you know, a list of policy proposals, but since, you know, coming into, coming into power, it, you know, hasn't quite, uh, turned out that way, you know, in, in terms of the actual things that they've proposed. And, you know, this certainly goes, uh, you know, pretty contrary to, you know, that, that platform that they had originally. So, um, yeah, do you, I don't know, you know, is there going to have to be a new, new conservative party? Well, or perhaps even uh, um, another minister, because it is indeed a, a quite a problematic statement, not only ideologically, but also legally, because, uh, you, uh, well, for the uh, first uh, level of pensions, uh, there are different factors why it is particular and different uh, because of our history but the second level uh, is uh, much more precise uh, in the way that the contributions are uh, attributed to specific people who have uh, paid towards them uh, meaning that it may not be legally possible to take for example my contributions or part of my contributions and uh, just to spread them out uh, with regard to pensions of other people uh, as uh, uh, you know, uh, as generous as the idea may seem. Uh, uh, so th they, uh, I think that they um, uh, changed uh, their tune slightly and proposed that this uh, proportion of uh, the social uh, taxes that go towards the second pension level uh, may be instead decreased. Uh, but that, of course, uh, caused uh, another level of controversy because uh, already the, the risk of uh, um, being poor when uh, being a pensioner is greater for our generation um, uh, than it is for the older ones so decreasing the second level of pensions may not help uh, to alleviate uh, that potential problem so uh, i'll be very interested to see how the conservative party will make their way out of this yeah because you know latvia is far from the only country in the world that's having a problem with pensions because every i mean you know, throughout the Western world, we have a situation where we have tons of people who are, you know, of, of age going, uh, you know, into in, into uh, retirement and, you know, collecting pensions and far less people than, you know, previously, you know, we, I mean, you know, here in lobby, I mean, we have a dramatically shrinking population. I mean, whenever it's a slow news week, it's, a, it's always the story that, uh, you know, uh, comes up, you know, and just economically, it, it doesn't work out, you know, like you, you need people paying in and, you know, m m uh, you know, at least as much as uh, people taking out, you know, of the pension system. So, you know, we have the situation all over the world. Uh, you know, this kind of policy is something that we've seen all over the place. You know, we, we've heard people talk about this in, you know, I know Australia, you know, in the United States and you know, other places, but generally the conservative part is the one that rails very hard against this kind of proposal uh you know so it's interesting to see here that they're the ones proposing it in the first place it's it's uh oh, very very uh, I'm wondering whether it is a pre-election move, thinking of the next national election, because certainly that would, this proposal would be something that uh, people um, who rely on the first level of pensions would be very happy about. That would be the oldest generation and uh, some of the most active people politically. Uh, at the same time, uh, well, this will not be a good signal for uh, people and their willingness to uh, 
be part of the official economy and contribute towards their pensions if there is this risk that it may be, uh, you know, arbitrarily uh, decreased. Yeah, and you know, I mean, it just kind of gets at the question of like, what does Yana Conservative Party want to be? Because, you know, again, from what I understood, you know, it, it, it always seems like they've been, you know, especially with, um, you know, their ministers, uh, you know, and, and, and the, you know, members that they have in parliament, they're, they're a very young party. You know, Yauna uh, or Yauns, you know, the word in Latvian means both new and young. I mean, they're, they are a new party. They're also a very young party. I mean, um, you know, like, like I said, you know, the, the, the current minister of education from Yauna Conservative Party was one of my bachelor students. You know, there you go. I'm, you know, um, so, you know, do they want to be the party of pensioners, you know, protecting pensioners? Maybe, you know, is that going to work out for them? You know, but what they came in as originally, especially when they first shot to prominence back w during the 2017 election um, of uh, Riga City Council. And this was when uh, Jutta Strice was the uh, mayoral candidate. They came in on a very strong anti-corruption platform, which certainly has become less on the forefront since the you know very unfortunate death of uh, you know Mr. Uh, I believe it was last year. Um, but when they came into the coalition process, one major red line that they had was that ZZS. The Union of Greens and Farmers, which <laughs> you can hear a lot about them in the previous episode. We won't go into them. Uh, th th this is a party that is heavily connected with Ivar Lembergs, the, um, well, mayor of Ventspils for a very, very long time, maybe not anymore. Uh, you know, it was a red line that they would not allow them into the government. And they succeeded with that. And ZZS has not been in the government. Well, Mr. Ivar Lembergs, though, was able to continue as the somewhat mayor of Ventspils, despite all of the criminal allegations around him, ongoing, uh, you know, investigations, uh, you know, being legally basically barred from, uh, you know, his, his position. But now that he is actually in prison, and now that there has been a new city council election, it's going to be much harder for Mr. Lembergs to remain the mayor of Ventspil. So there was this uh, report by DeFacto, which is the um, Latvian uh, TV's uh, kind of Sunday uh, investigative journalism program. It's uh, every Sunday evening. And if you know Latvian, it's very, very interesting to watch every week, uh, you know, the different reports that they do. Otto, I didn't get a chance to watch the actual episode, but I did read the summary of it. And basically... What they said was very similar, actually, to what you said in last week's episode. So can you just um, kind of refresh people? You know, you, you talked about this in detail last episode, but now it seems like your, um, <laughs> you know, your, your analysis has been confirmed by, uh, you know, some of the best and brightest in investigative journalism. So why exactly will it be very difficult for Ivers Lembergs to uh, continue fulfilling the role of mayor of Ventspils? So uh, there are two reasons for it. Uh, one is that uh, for him to stay on as a mayor, uh, it uh, would be necessary uh, for him also to vote for himself as the candidate of the mayor. And uh, this is uh, not uh, likely uh, because uh, as he is in uh, prison following uh, the judgment um, of the first instance with regard uh, to uh, the, a number of uh, cases and allegations uh, that uh, were um, put forward against him and um, the law does not provide uh, the right uh, to uh, have or use a computer um, in the prison uh, um, or um, and that uh, 
practically uh, prevents him from participating in uh, the proceedings uh, from a distance uh, and also casting a vote uh, in any vote for that matter and as a result they are one vote short of uh, uh, affirming uh, Lambergs uh, as a mayor again and it is highly likely that it uh, will be another person uh, either another candidate from the Latvia and Venspoli party which is one of the constituent parties of the Greens and the Farmers Union uh, or perhaps uh, another candidate if uh, the other parties are able to find um, um, a united position on that. So be very interesting. I mean, we, uh, you know, I don't think there's a whole lot to, uh, you know, kind of um, discuss right now, but but we will uh, definitely have, uh, you know, kind of an update on that probably by next week because, you know, they do need somebody to fulfill that role uh, so so that they can continue their business. So we will keep a look on that. Uh, speaking of political business, so uh, going back to the national government, uh, so uh, <laughs> President Egil Levitz had a pretty hot take on uh, on Simon this week. So uh, he said that um, the the government has been well. First of all, the uh, you know parliament and the government, you know, he was, he was kind of going back and forth between the two. But uh, his, his main um, kind of point was that they are not working to their uh, full potential on the different reforms that uh, they've been trying to uh, implement over the last couple of years and. And in terms of COVID, they have been stumbling and falling, but stumbling and falling in the correct dis, uh, direction. And I find this uh, hilarious because all I can imagine is like a 22-year-old, like Egil's Levitz, who's in university, is out with some friends. And, you know, they've, you know, like his friends have been drinking too much. And, you know, Le- Levitz is like trying to help his friend get home. And they're like, uh, uh, you know, but, but he's just trying to push him in the right direction down the road. You know, don't get run over by a car or anything like that. And I can just imagine, you know, now in his, uh, you know, I, I think 60s, you know, he, he's, he's trying to do that with with the uh, with the government uh, as as well, so so I, I kind of chuckled when I heard that. But uh, but um, you know, I, I, as a fellow political scientist, Otto, um, you know, do do you think his um, you know analysis is is on the mark there? Uh, I would say that yes. Um, no, on the whole, uh, president has been uh, constructively supportive of the government and uh, uh, the endeavors that uh, it tries to achieve. At the same time, of course, he could not overlook the uh, critical uh, parts of uh, this performance, and uh, he has co- found uh, again quite a, a diplomatic way how to put it. No wonder, as he has been also an ambassador previously. But indeed, uh, this. Uh, is perhaps uh, some of the rhetoric that we need so that it would be possible to keep the stability uh, at this very uncertain time. And speaking of stumbling and falling, uh, when it comes to Saima, Latvian parliament, uh, there's one member of uh, Saima who might be uh, stumbling and falling out of Saima altogether and potentially into a prison cell if the allegations are uh, correct, the allegations of espionage. So this is uh, Mr. Janis Adamsons from the uh, Saskinia or Harmony Party, uh, and uh, apparently, so earlier in the week, so as we talked about on the show, which is very, you know, a very controversial subject, and you know, we've had articles on our website written about this, you know, kind of uh, counter articles about this. Uh, members of Parliament do have immunity from prosecution, uh, which can be taken away if a majority uh, of the members of parliament, uh, you know, just decided to do that. And a uh, overwhelming majority of uh, parliament decided to do that based on the evidence that they heard. Uh, so, so Mr. Giannis Adamson's lost his immunity. And then I believe the next day was arrested for suspected 
espionage. Um, so Otto, what are the details of this uh, kind of uh, spy case right here? So um, the allegation in this case is that uh, uh, Mr. Um, Jan Sadamsons, um, who is a member of parliament, has uh, provided um, um, information uh, to um, Russian Federation uh, that pertain to um, uh, our uh, security, um, uh, matters of um, the military procurements and uh, other uh, similar uh, information. Uh, I have to note um, um, that uh, we are not talking about uh, state secrets because Mr. Adamson does not have the security clearance uh, on the account that um, in the uh, uh, Soviet uh, period he used to be uh, um, a member of uh, the Soviet uh, border guard uh, forces uh, that were um, at least formally subordinated to the KGB so he was uh, part of the uh, Soviet uh, public service uh, which uh, was something that has followed him negatively uh, once we regained our um, independence um, I have to know that he has uh, been uh, previously a uh, high-ranking member also of the Latvian Border Guard Service and previously had served as the Minister of Interior. Uh, but uh, the fact that he was a member of the Soviet Border Force, which is um, a, a subject uh, of KGB, uh, was a reason why he was uh, barred from uh, running from, for the parliament. And uh, this uh, prohibition was contested uh, all the way uh, to struggle uh, which found that uh, this uh, prohibition uh, should not apply in this case and Mr. Adamson won this case and uh, as a result uh, this uh, uh, prohibition was banned as a result he's a member of uh, parliament uh, yet perhaps uh, and I'm speculating here perhaps this uh, uh, previous uh, connection uh, may have been uh, uh, a way how some uh, secret services uh, not connected to our country uh, approached him but of course that uh, will be for the court to see certainly and, and you know I, I i have to remind people also you know it, if i was Yanis urbanovich who is the uh basically the leader right now or, or the chair of the saskia party I would be banging my head against a wall right now because Saskinia has been referred to for many years as the you know so-called Russian party because of their you know cooperation agreement with Vladimir Putin's United uh, Russia party and also you know they they have taken previously you know stances on um, you know I issues which tend to be very popular in the Russian-speaking community but tend to be you know very unpopular in the uh, you know uh, more uh, Latvian-speaking community you know in the last few elections. You know, Saskia has tried very, very hard to shed this image and, and really embrace the idea of being a, you know, social democratic party, you know, the some kind of Scandinavian-ish, uh, you know, social democratic party. And, uh, you know, really shed this image of being the so-called Russian party. So, you know, when you have one of your members of parliament being accused of espionage for the Russian Federation, uh, that sets you back a little bit. So, you know, definitely, uh, you know, I, I imagine uh, Yanis Urbanovich has some uh, choice words that he is probably, um, <laughs> you know, uh, getting ready. But but then again, you know, uh, you, 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 you do have to be careful with your vetting process in terms of, uh, you know, who, who you put in, you know, parliament for your party. So, uh, yeah, very interesting there. And one more kind of uh, interesting kind of crime-related uh, story. So apparently, uh, Ernest Rix was uh, found. And if uh, you don't recognize uh, the name Ernest Rix, uh, you might recognize <laughs> some of the, um, 
you know, previous stories we've reported on the podcast, uh, which he is related to, and uh, none of them in a very good way. Uh, and the, the biggest one, we, which we talked about earlier this year, was the very tragic fire uh, that uh, apparently, um, you know, the, the final death toll was nine people who were killed. Um, and, uh, you know, earlier it was eight people, but now, uh, unfortunately, it was up to nine. And, uh, you know, so back in June, people started looking for him, police started looking for him because uh, he was connected with this illegal hostel, um, which, uh, you know, was not, uh, you know, fire safety was, was one of the issues. There was many other, um, you know, illegal issues as well. Um, so, so he has been, uh, you know, there's been a manhunt underway. They have found him. Uh, so what, auto is the kind of next step here? Um, uh, he will um, go to court uh, for um, this uh, criminal case uh, involving uh, nine deaths and the fact that he uh, fled the uh, police and did not uh, uh, give himself in uh, voluntarily uh, will certainly not help his case. Uh, it may serve as a reason for him to get even uh, 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 probably uh, the the harsher um, possible um, uh, judgment than it would be if he would have given himself um, uh, into the police. So uh, we'll see uh, how this goes on and hopefully that the police and the uh, judicial uh, sector are able uh, to uh, provide um, an adequate investigation uh, that would then permit to uh, find the truth and uh, find also the responsibility of uh, Mr. Riext, which I think certainly is there already uh, by the facts that he overlooked as he had to as being uh, responsible for this hostel and uh, the other uh, allegations. So we're going to take a quick break for a minute because uh, my uh, recorder, which I use for the podcast, uh, ran out of batteries. And then, uh, you know, we kind of realized how difficult it is to find AAA batteries in Yelgova at 11 o'clock at night because this cafe that we were at uh, is open all the way till 12. Um, but, uh, you know, so you know, Remy, unfortunately, is only open till 10. Uh, you know, we tried going to you know, the, the gas station Circle K, which, you know, is usually, you know, you'd expect to be open all night. Uh, it was only so also open only till 10. And, uh so luckily, there's one, uh, you know, 24-hour Mego supermarket, uh, which we looked everywhere for AAA batteries, and finally, the very last uh, uh, place we found uh, had them, and uh, we are now able to continue. So, so Otto, Otto was saying, you know, kind of, uh, you know, that th th that's one nice plus to, uh, you know, living in Riga since uh, he has moved there. So, you know, I will, I will give him that, but, but I still, uh, you know, think the minor inconvenience of having to walk a little bit further to get to AAA batteries, you know, I'm. I still take uh, Yelkova Life any day of the week. So, um, Speaking of Riga, though, Otto, we have a few stories to close out the domestic section regarding Riga. And the first one is a drama which we've been following for quite some time. A drama that's been going on probably pretty much your entire life, Otto. And this is where to build the acoustic concert hall which has been missing from, uh, you know, Riga's uh, scene. And this, this is the, uh, you know hopeful world-class concert hall though which will you know kind of put Riga more on the map of the international uh, you know uh, 
don't know if classical music is the com- you know correct word to say, but compositional music uh, scene. So uh, Otto, it seems like there are you know last year we were talking that the kind of uh, main plan was to build it where the uh, World Trade Center building is, you know, formerly the uh, Communist Party headquarters. Uh, We had a big debate about this, but there are three new locations which have been uh, proposed now by, um, you know, the uh, parties involved. So uh, one of the locations is Andre Sala, which is this very cool kind of uh, abandoned port area, which I love. I had my uh, bachelor's party there. I would be very heartbroken if they built it there, Uh, you know, (laughs) which... I think Otto's, you know, probably going to be rolling his eyes because all these places which they, uh, you know, um, want to build it, you know, I, I have some kind of, um, you know, nice feelings about. Uh, another one is uh, Congress Noms, which is uh, this very kind of funky building uh, on uh, Christiana Waldmariella. This is uh, right kind of the border between Old Town and the Quiet Center. Uh, that area right there, you might have gone by it before. And uh, the last location is right next to the market. And this is Otto and I, (laughs) when we were walking to get new batteries, we were thinking very long and hard to describe the kind of items that are bought there. But it's kind of like, you know, I I bought, I bought shoes there once, um, you know, back, back when we were using a lot. So what what are some of the other kind of items that you can buy there? You can buy clothes. Uh, I think you you could buy batteries there as well. Uh, Some, (laughs) uh, (laughs) some uh, food items um, such as uh, rice and uh, um, pasta and stuff like that uh, some canned goods and other uh, uh, light goods uh, that w- would be uh, found uh, beyond the hangars of the central market uh, that have uh, other goods such as milk and fish and meat and uh, you know we, we already had a discussion about this last year and you know Otto and I kind of had a back and forth you know th- there was already a section of the actual market you know of the actual official central uh, market where there were these kind of kiosk buildings that were torn down um, you know, we, we both saw this in a very uh, different light. And, you know, also, uh, you know, Martin from over at, uh, you know, Capital R and uh, well, now the host also of, uh, you know, Elis Garma, you know, we, we had a long discussion about this as well. Uh, you know, I saw it more of kind of as something to be, you know, maybe not... Um, I don't know, d- depressed about, but, 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 but something to, you know, give pause because, you know, the, I, I see it as, you know, the, this and, you know, this potential, you know, tearing down of this area is, you know, something that is going to be lost. You know, the, 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 this is, you know, the way markets have been for a very, very long time. And I know that, you know, it does represent this kind of ugly, um, you know, crime ridden area, but, but this is also, you know, a way of life for a, a lot of people, especially in, you know, um, you know, uh, lo- lower, you know, socioeconomic classes as well. And, you know, I, I, and I, I don't know, you know, the, 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 there are these communities that you see, you know, and, and, uh, you know, pe- people who know each other have worked there, you know, with each other for, for, for a very, very long time. And, you know, um, people who I think are also invisible to the policymakers who would be deciding to, oh, let's make this nice concert hall, which, you know, we're going to, you know, be able to go and, you know, attend nice concerts. And, you know, the, the people who, you know, have been working here, you know, for, you know, decades and, you know, selling things here for decades, you know, are not going to be able to probably for the tickets for so i don't know uh now, now that i've uh <laughs> kind of sounded like a firebrand socialist auto uh you know what, what's your take about potentially building it there because I, I think it's a very likely you know out of these three locations you know i i think that that's very possible that they do it there just because of the um you know um engineering issues with you know something like andre sala and you know like with congress noms i'm sure there's going to be all kinds of preservationists there 
Yeah, um, I think that uh, there has been interest from the Riga city municipality uh, to uh, select the uh, uh, Congress NAMS uh, location because that is already a venue that is used for a um, large uh, variety of uh, cultural events, uh, only it would have to be then um, adjusted for uh, these world-class events as an uh, acoustic concert hall uh, would be able uh, to host. Uh, there also perhaps is more space, also if we talk about uh, parking and about the other infrastructure that would not require, for example, chopping down a lot of old trees, as it would be in the case of the former Communist uh, Party headquarters building, uh, even though both of them are uh, part of our Soviet past, because the Congress announced uh, the Congress Hall was built in uh, 1980s as a place for the party congresses, because apparently the party headquarters was not big enough uh, and would also not be big enough for a concert hall. Um, it is probably uh, likely uh, that it will be the place uh, by the uh, market. Um, let me say that I do have respect for people uh, who are uh, able to provide for themselves uh, by uh, selling the light goods there and uh, doing business there. At the same time, uh, it is indeed um, at times an area uh, which uh, has been uh, an issue in terms of uh, providing public order, uh, such as with regard to the uh, counterfeit cigarettes and other issues that uh, I would not believe that people around there did not uh, see. Uh, and also perhaps this aspect of um, aesthetic um, side of this, uh, because perhaps for Joe and for many other uh, foreigners there is a different perspective uh, to this. Well, for me, uh, I would have perhaps more the associations of the uh, early 90s and how the market changed uh, then, because it was not like that uh, before and it was not like that in the time of my grandparents. So indeed, that would not be uh, something uh, timeless that uh, is part of the uh, market area, such as, for example, the hangars of the central market that have been there since 1930. Uh, so, so perhaps we, we may have a, a different approach to this, uh, but uh, certainly uh, uh, the destiny of these people who are doing business there will also have to be addressed by the municipality. Yeah, certainly. You know, I'm not. I'm not talking about like the technical state of the buildings itself. I mean, obviously, you know, you know, I'm not saying, oh, like look at how romantic it is. I mean, obviously, it looks like crap. You know, obviously, and but you know, what I'm talking about more is just the the way it's organized. You know, in in this very kind of like more organic way, and and um, you know, something because you know, like Riga, the 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 city, the central market, you know, is becoming more and more of a tourist destination. You know, I mean, it is still an authentic market to you know like a big extent, but now it's you know, be, you know, like be becoming a place to, you know, go, go uh, have a, you know, like a kind of a fancy meal, you know, event. And, you know, so, and, and that's not how it was even when I showed up in, in Riga. And, you know, again, you know, it gets into this, you know, endless debate over, you know, like, well, you know, what's the cost of progress? And, you know, of course, you know, um, you know, we, we can get into that forever. But so, to paraphrase a Latvian saying, hopefully from one ditch at the side of the road, we will not get into the other. Well, yeah, that's. Uh, <laughs> I think it's a good way to sum this up right now. You know, we we will uh, continue this. Uh, you know, 
train of thought, uh, you know, uh, over and over and over again, because it's, it's, it's a uh, issue that never goes away. And, uh, also specifically with this concert hall, you know, um, you know, the, the, this issue never goes away. Um, and we also have never end up getting a new concert hall, you know, if we, if we need one, which, you know, no, nobody's really quite sure if we actually do besides uh, classical music or uh, compositional music, uh, um, you know, uh, aficionados, which, uh, you know, are, they're, they're all very, very confident that we do need one. So, um, that's one major kind of public works Riga related issue. Uh, another one is, uh, you know, something a lot more pressing considering, uh, you know, the amount of traffic and the amount of people who use it on an everyday basis, certainly more than would use an acoustic concert hall. This is Vanchu tilts or, uh, you know, I think directly translated uh, into English is suspension bridge. Uh, and uh, this is uh, very obviously the suspension bridge over the River Daugava. I mean, you know, About if you... which the suspension is currently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, well, there's a lot of suspense over uh, a lot of issues with this uh, bridge. Um, but, I mean, if you've ever seen a picture of Riga, you have seen this bridge. It, it is it is the one that you're thinking of. Uh, and and um, this uh, bridge is not in very good uh, technical state right now to the point where um, it's you know g getting to be uh, pretty pretty dangerous and uh, you know it needs to be renovated you know we've been talking about this for quite some time but the current timetable is that renovation would not be likely to start until 2023 uh, do, do, and, and this is due to a number of, uh, you know, I issues with, uh, with funding and, and also other road priorities, uh, you know, but, but I've seen some discussion, you know, with the amount of money being, you know, spent on roads all, you know, throughout Latvia, especially roads that have been <laughs> not, uh, very, you know, well built, unfortunately, and, you know, have had to be repaired another time, you know, should this be kind of a bigger priority because of just, you know, again, how many people use this bridge every day just to, you know, get to back and uh, forth from work and the, you know, massive strain on uh, traffic that it would cause over, you know, solid tilts, for example, if, you know, it, it had to close down for an indefinite amount of time. Uh, indeed, uh, we can see several uh, issues associated with uh, dealing uh, with this bridge. Well, one is that certainly for a project uh, that large, even if we are talking just about uh, changing the um, uh, sides of uh, the bridge uh, with regard to pedestrian safety, you know, the procurement involves a lot of planning, a lot of documentation, permissions and money. Um, of course, it will also be difficult for the municipality to juggle all of these uh, pressing priorities of uh, decrepit uh, Riga infrastructure as there are many bridges uh, that have problems so we have already discussed uh, at uh, a wide uh, extent uh, the issues for example with the overpasses such as the Brasas bridge and the Zemitan bridge um, uh, where you even have uh, seen the situation go as far as in the case of Brass bridge is that it is now open just for the trams uh, and I think perhaps also the buses but the regular car traffic has to uh, pass over the railway just as it has uh, before uh, 1950s I believe so we are regressing in some regards so hopefully uh, it will be uh, something that the municipality will be able to um, address perhaps also uh, in cooperation with the government because it could be the case that the municipality does not have enough money to do that soon enough by itself 
How much would a uh, temporary floating bridge, uh, which which was uh, you know a, a solution over the River Daugava when the uh, you know stone bridge was being built, uh, you know, do 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 you think that would be a uh, realistic solution, just like uh, driving over the railroad tracks? Well, uh, you know, that was the original way. It was the way how uh, traffic crossed uh, across Daugava before any permanent bridges were built. Um, I think uh, before the railway bridge was built as the first permanent bridge in the late 19th century. So we have had practice of that. Uh, it could also be uh, the case also for now. Yeah, and you know, flo- floating bridges actually. You know, I mean, the uh, you know, as uh, you know, anyone who's been around Seattle knows, uh, you know, the um, bridges over the uh, the lake there are actually floating bridges, including the interstate bridge. But we will not get into that. That has nothing to do with Latvia. Um, but uh, one other kind of public works uh, issue, you know, ag- again, um, kind of kind of a headache here. Uh, th- this has to do with Krasta Ila, the major thoroughfare that takes you into the center of Riga from the east side, uh, you know, specifically the road to, um, you know, Daugopils, Resigne, and, and all points east. And apparently there were some trees that were planted along the roads there, which are not doing so hot, according to a report by LSM. And uh, you can read the English version of LSM uh, about this as well. Apparently, uh, you know, a bunch of tree experts, you know, the the, the tree experts within this um, uh, road department, you know, knew that planting birch trees there was not a very good idea because that area, you know, does have a lot of salt usage in the winter. And, uh, you know, but they went ahead with it anyway. And, uh, you know, now um, the result is that, you know, a bunch of aerosolized salt landed on the branches and the trees are not in very good shape. You know, uh, apparently there is still hope for them, but, you know, uh, you know, apparently they knew in the first place that they should have planted oaks or you know something else there instead. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't know, Otto, you know, this, this is the kind of thing that uh, unfortunately we've seen quite a bit of, uh, you know, when, when it comes to kind of poor planning and, uh, you know, not listening to, uh, you know, the experts are maybe going with a cheaper solution or, you know, s- solutions for other reasons. So, you know, do, do you think there will be some kind of accountability, uh, you know, when it comes to when it comes to this kind of thing? Uh, we'll see whether the uh, city government is uh, able to achieve that, because uh, as I understand, there will be litigation. Uh, or I expect that there will be litigation with regard to the previous head of the department in charge because apparently uh, one of the problems uh, there was this haste associated with the pre-election atmosphere as we remember in uh, Riga the municipal election uh, happened um, out of the ordinary uh, order uh, because of uh, the events that we uh, have talked a lot uh, about and apparently there was this haste to have the trees planted uh, before winter and as a result uh, the the new trees, the newly planted trees, uh, got uh, the salt that is used as a de-icing measure in our capital city. Uh, so um, the people who uh, would be potentially in charge are not working there anymore, so we'll see whether the uh, city government will actually go after them. Well, those trees did not save the uh, <laughs> ruling coalition's uh, chances, unfortunately, for them. Uh, then um, the, the very last story, so speaking of winter, uh, you know, and the reason why so much salt was used was that was an unusually cold winter that we had, at least, you know, compared to the last few years. Uh, a more kind of painful um, upshot of that for, you know, everybody, for Otto and myself, any, anybody who uses uh, Latvia's, you know, natural gas here um, is going to be higher tariffs uh, starting on July First, which I read could go up, uh, you know, like around 20% for 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 quite a few people, um, which is uh, significant. I mean, you know, because um, most people 
who uh, you know, live at least in, in the cities are, are using gas for, uh, you know, cooking and, you know, a lot of people for heating as well, even, you know, if they're not on the, you know, centralized, um, you know, heating service. So uh, that's, um, you know, I, I haven't really heard a whole lot about that, but, uh, you know, that, that's going to have a big impact on, on people's, um, you know, uh, purchasing power and everything, especially, you know, now, now, now that things were kind of quieting down with the pandemic and everything, and you know the economic situation is getting better now, we have this. So, uh, uh, I don't know any any kind of thoughts on the situation. Well, on the one hand, it was um, a, a long process in which uh, the um, a gas company uh, had to argue for an increased um, amount of uh, tariffs, and partially it is explained uh, by the. A need uh, to um, uh, do repairs on the uh, gas infrastructure. Uh, well, partially it is also explained by the fact that the general gas con- consumption is decreasing, so it may be uh, more expensive to provide a decreasing amount of gas, so there is not so much this economy of scale anymore. At the same time, the impact, as you mentioned, will be significant because, well, you would have a lot of uh, the individual um, consumers uh, whom uh, this will affect, but lots also remember the industrial consumers, the industries uh, that uh, depend on gas for manufacturing purposes and also uh, well, the, the centralized heating that also people in Riga enjoy is also partially dependent on burning gas. So uh, if the winter will be cold, uh, the bills will be up to 43% higher, which will be significant uh, for uh, many people in our country. Yeah, I mean, pretty much everybody who is not a, uh, you know, a millionaire, uh, you know, I mean, that's very, very significant. Um, well, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, we'll, we'll keep an eye on, on that and, and see, uh, you know, how that actually shakes out. But, uh, you know, th- that could end up becoming one of the big stories of the year. And, and we'll, ha- we'll have to uh, keep following that. Uh, let's take a look at some international stories right now, though. Uh, first of all, uh, I didn't uh, realize this until afterwards, but the uh, Polish fi- uh, foreign minister made a visit to Riga, and I saw that he gave a uh, COVID fist bump to uh, our foreign minister, Mr. Edgar Rinkiewicz, um, who, uh, by the way, uh, you know, I, I think we're going to have to do a special episode on him because his tenth uh, year anniversary in, uh, you know, as as foreign minister of Latvia is uh, is actually coming up pretty soon. So, that's right. Um, for this visit, I think uh, one of the uh, key uh, reasons for uh, this. Is is um, not only the uh, variety of international meetings that are happening, also involving our allies, but also the issues that have led um, these allies to meet. Uh, perhaps the most important is the situation in Belarus and the matter of um, a united response with regard to the uh, issues uh, created by the uh, situation that is not uh, developing uh, in a positive uh, direction, unfortunately, including the issue of um, the um, illegal migration and uh, the uh, uh, transborder uh, drug uh, trafficking, uh, which is also uh, an issue if we talk about uh, the border between Belarus and the European Union, and that is a border that Latvia and uh, Poland shares. Well, uh, speaking of EU partners, and especially uh, very, very close by partners, so, uh, you know, we've been hearing a lot about this meeting in Geneva between, uh, you know, U.S. President Biden and also uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin, but those were not the only two people who were meeting in Geneva, uh, you know, at, at this uh, summit right here. Uh, so also the 
leaders of uh, the three Baltic countries, so the uh, pri um, uh, presidents of uh, of uh, Lithuania and uh, and uh, and Latvia, and also the Prime Minister of Estonia, met with uh, President Biden. Apparently, so Otto, what uh, were kind of the big takeaways from that meeting? So uh, this was uh, indeed a very notable uh, meeting, and that was um, part of the NATO summit where the leaders of 13 NATO countries uh, met in Brussels. And so uh, one of these uh, meetings um, between the leaders was, as you mentioned, the one between the American president and the Baltic leaders. And uh, this uh, meeting uh, brought about uh, additional assurances with regard to the uh, role of uh, NATO for the Americans, uh, the significance of uh, the Baltic security for the security of all allies and the um, American uh, commitment to uh, European security as well as the Baltic commitment uh, to the goals of NATO. So that was very encouraging and also very uh, important that uh, this uh, meeting also uh, took place uh, before uh, President Biden met uh, with his Russian counterpart. Yeah, uh, which, uh, you know, also is, uh, you know, going to be interesting to hear your take on that. I don't know if that's within the scope of this show, um, but, uh, you know, we'll definitely have to talk about that at some point. Um, what, what else from the uh, from the international scene should we uh, take a look at? Uh, so uh, from the international scene, we have to take a look at... I can't remember uh, what the third story was either. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that, that was the one day I couldn't yeah. remember. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Uh, um, is of course another story connected to uh, NATO, uh, specifically the NATO exercise uh, which uh, continues in the Baltic Sea. Uh, that is of course the Baltops uh, 2021 and I think that this year it is the 50th year that NATO is organizing an exercise in the Baltic Sea and that is also significant that there are 18 uh, uh, NATO uh, countries represented at this and I think this is another assurance. Uh, so not only in the words uh, between the leaders, but also in the actions that uh, we are there together. And indeed, the collective security uh, will work uh, if necessary. Mm -hmm. um, now that we've gone through, I think, just about everything uh, that we need to talk about for this week, can you take us through the week in history? So uh, uh, this year, with regard to this week, I would like to recall the story of the Latvian coat of arms that I'm sure all of you, our listeners, know. And I have to know that it is this week, June 16th of 1921, that uh, the Latvian coat of arms was approved by the parliament. And uh, you have a number of symbols there that are really connected uh, to uh, some uh, very fundamental uh, elements of our country and the symbols uh, that are part of it. Uh, so uh, the stars and the heraldic animals refer to historic Latvian regions. Uh, as uh, previously, uh, these have been divided um, between different rules, but at the same time have had specific heraldic uh, symbols that uh, have a significant uh, that have indicated uh, what they are and so that's how they also um, uh, continue to uh, be part of the latin coat of arms uh, rather than just uh, the symbol of this particular part of our country uh, the rays of the sun count the original number of municipalities at the time when Latvia was established and uh, as you can see it also includes branches of an oak tree which is another national symbol of Latvia and a uh, very much beloved uh, tree for the Latvian nation. 
I, I actually laughed when I when I read the part about the um, sunbeams being the amount of municipalities because even back then, uh, <laughs> you know, there, there's as many municipalities as there are beams of the sun. Um, yeah, so but, uh, we we had <laughs> less than like 17 or 19. So uh, that's perhaps <laughs> uh, the objective of the next municipal reform. But that will be for us to see. <laughs> Yeah, you know, they, they um, w with uh, the election results, I saw the, you know, forecast for the different, um, you know, the amount of people living in those municipalities in 2030. And, you know, I, I can imagine that, you know, by then we'll, we'll have to do another reform already, as we seem to be doing every 10 years or so. But uh, that's for far in the future. Let's go a little bit uh, closer in the future to right now. And uh, Otto, we talked a little bit earlier uh, that, you know, this weekend, um, you know, already some different uh, cultural institutions and you know, museums and everything are doing, you know, in test mode. So, you know, definitely take a look on, for example, uh, you know, if you're in Riga, Live Riga or, you know, uh, throughout the country, you know, uh, take a look at what's going on because there are going to be a lot more outdoor events than there have been. And here in Yelgava, we certainly have a major one that we can recommend for you right on the island, Otto. So why should people come to Yelgava this weekend? Well, that is, of course, the now long-standing tradition of hosting a festival of sand sculptures uh, in the very nice and uh, recently renovated uh, past Sala, right in the middle of the city. And uh, that is uh, a great uh, family-friendly event uh, that uh, we can enjoy uh, outdoors. And I'm glad that it will be also the case this year, as, of course, sand sculptures are much more reliable than the ice sculptures uh, to the different whims of of, uh, Latvian weather. Yeah, I mean they do kind of cheat a little bit with the with the sands because they do spray some kind of like um, uh, I don't know some some kind of spray on it uh, that makes it last long because you know so if you aren't able to come out this weekend you can still come out uh, for probably you know the next year or so because uh, you know they the sculptures are open to, to visit you know during the summer you have to pay a fee for it and then you know if the sculptures are still standing in the in the fall you can kind of just walk around to look at them um, but definitely come on out and uh, and check it out I mean uh, you know there's pretty good parking here in Yelga that's one of the great things you know it's, it's hard to find a double a you know triple a battery at 11 at night on a Wednesday but there is a uh, that's another thing that I hate about Yelgova is, is, is these uh, idiots on their uh, very loud, um, you know, motorcycles that they, or, you know, scooters that they take the mufflers off on. Um, yeah, right on cue, of course. But it's very easy to find parking here in Yelgova, um, even during a San Sculpture Festival. So definitely come out and check that out. Uh, and if you do, you know, uh, shoot us a message and, and uh, you know, if, if we're around and, uh, you know, we can, we can show you around Yelgova a little bit too. Um, but that's just about it for now. Uh, I think it is time for us to go our separate ways, Otto. Uh, anything last, uh, any last words you'd like to tell our listeners uh, before we sign off? Stay in good health and enjoy the summer before the rain starts. <laughs> yes, yeah, certainly. It is supposed to be nice weather for the next few days at least. So, uh, you know, either come to the Sand Sculpture Festival, go to the beach, but do, do something outdoors because you, know, you never know what Latvian summer is going to be like. And, uh, you know, if we do have rainy days, do consider that a good time to go get vaccinated if you've not done so yet. And uh, please take a look on our Facebook page if you've not done so. You can uh, yeah, like that and listen, see, read, sorry, not listen. There's no audio version, but you can read the stories of the day that uh, Ian has been doing every single day. Huge thanks to him. And until next time, everyone, Visulab will be seeing you. Visulab. <laughs>